It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone in the audience. Thank you for joining me in the program. In episode 101, I had said that the atheist could not shoulder the burden of the proof for the logical problem of evil. I was in the process of showing three points that demonstrate atheists are not able to shoulder this lighter burden of proof of the probabilistic version of the problem of evil. I had shown the first point. God's existence relative to the full scope of the evidence is actually probable rather than improbable, as the atheists claim. I had begun showing the second point, where I said we are simply not in a position to assess with confidence the probability that God has no morally sufficient reasons for permitting the evils that occur. I'd made this observation. Suffering that appears pointless within our limited framework may be seen to have been justly permitted by God within his wider framework. Now allow me to give an illustration found in Craig's book On Guard, substantiating that observation. In chaos theory, scientists have discovered that certain large-scale systems, for example, the weather or insect populations, are extraordinarily sensitive to the smallest disturbances. A butterfly fluttering on a twig in West Africa may set in motion forces that could eventually issue in a hurricane over the Atlantic Ocean. And it is impossible for anyone observing that butterfly fluttering on the branch to predict such an outcome. We have no way of knowing how the alteration of some seemingly insignificant event can radically alter the world. To say this is not to appeal to mystery, but rather to point out the inherent limitations of our understanding. Actions that appear disastrous in the short term may redound to a greater good, while some short-term boon may issue in untold misery. We are simply not in a good position to assess such probabilities with any confidence. Now I turn to the third point. Christianity entails doctrines that increase the probability of the existence of both God and evil, I list four such doctrines. First doctrine, the chief purpose of life is not happiness, as many assume, but the biblical purpose is the knowledge of God. 
The assumption that happiness is the main goal is one reason that the problem of evil seems so intractable. Many also assume that God is the great grandfather in the sky, whose role is to provide a comfortable environment to human beings. But on the Christian view, those assumptions are false, because God has a different purpose, namely the knowledge of God. The great Christian minister and author, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, has written, quotes, The key to the history of the world is the kingdom of God. From the very beginning, God has been at work establishing a new kingdom in the world. It is his own kingdom, and he is calling people out of the world into that kingdom. And everything that happens in the world has relevance to it. Other events are of importance as they have a bearing upon that event. The problems of today are to be understood only in its light. In quotes. It may well be the case that natural and moral evils are part of the means God uses to draw people into his kingdom. Second doctrine. Humanity is in a state of rebellion against God and his purpose. The terrible human evils in the world testify to man's depravity in his state of spiritual alienation from God. The Christian is not surprised at the moral evil in the world. On the contrary, he expects it. The Bible says that though God's existence is clearly revealed to all by the things that are made, found in Romans 1, verses 18 through 20, rebellious humanity seeks to suppress that revelation and thus to operate on the assumption that the God of Scripture does not exist. In his book, We Are All Philosophers, John Frame writes, Quotes, Western philosophy, in its mediation on good and evil, has painted itself into a corner. The world, including the human heart, is corrupted by evil. If God exists, and if he cares about good and evil, and if he is the only one who enables us to distinguish between good and evil, then intentional evil is sin, an offense against God, end quote. Reinhold Niebuhr once wrote that original sin is, quote, the only empirically verifiable doctrine of the Christian faith, end quote. Philosophers have always noted this obvious fact, but for the most part they have been unable or unwilling to show us the way out of this predicament, an alternative to the Buddhist way of nothingness. However, Frame remarks, quotes, Buddhism is a dead end. Buddhism, in effect, shifts the blame from the condition of the, our own hearts to being in general. And it presents that if we renounce being and embrace non-being, we will overcome the evil in ourselves. If you understand what Buddha meant 
Please explain it to me. Third doctrine. God's purpose is not restricted to this life, but spills over beyond the grave into eternal life. The biblical view of this life is but a preamble to God's eternity. God promises eternal life to all who place their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. When God asks his children to bear horrible sufferings in this life, it is only with the prospect of heavenly joy in the future for all eternity. The Apostle Paul endured a multitude of adverse conditions, afflictions, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, hunger. This can be verified in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Yet Paul wrote, we do not lose heart, for this momentary light of affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Fourth doctrine. The knowledge of God is an incomparable good. In the above two passages in 2 Corinthians, Paul imagines a scale where all the suffering of this life is placed on one side of the scale, while on the other side is placed the glory of God that God will grant to his children in heaven. And the weight of glory is so great that it is beyond comparison with the suffering we experience. Thus, the person who knows God, no matter what he suffers, no matter how awful his pain, can still say, God is good to me simply by virtue of the fact that he has a relationship with God, the creator of everything. These four Christian doctrines increase the probability of the coexistence of God and evil in the world. They, in turn, decrease any improbability that suffering might seem to cast upon the existence of God. The atheist might respond that we have no reason to think that the four Christian doctrines are true. What is his real point? I think he is merely trying to shift the burden of proof onto you. It was the atheist who claimed that suffering makes God's existence improbable. Thus, the atheist is responsible for that claim and therefore the burden of proof is still on him. Don't let him shift the burden of proof onto you. In summary, the atheist who clings to the evidential slash probabilistic problem of evil fails to accomplish his goal of successfully shouldering the burden of proof. It requires probability judgments way beyond our ability. 
It fails to take in the full scope of the evidence, and it is diminished in force when it comes to the Christian God and the four doctrines I mentioned. Thus, the logical and the evidential slash probabilistic version of the problem of evil both fail. Therefore, the intellectual problem of suffering fails as a disproof of God, and like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, the atheist doesn't have a leg to stand on. Now we have finished discussing the problem of evil. Allow me to use the rest of our time together to make some comments that give reasons to trust the Bible. I begin by giving you an example of the way science works. In 1919, observation of a solar eclipse confirmed Albert Einstein's prediction that light is bent in the presence of mass. The experimental support for his general theory of relativity garnered him instant worldwide acclaim. But if the bending of light had not happened, it would have falsified his theory. But since it did happen, it did not prove his theory, but merely confirmed or corroborated his theory. Let me apply this same idea to the question, is the Bible true? If the Bible is true, we would expect that anything the Bible affirms also would be true. In particular, if prophecies were presented, or events, persons, and places, the Bible names, we would expect them to be verified. Like the confirming evidence for the general theory of relativity, the points I make below are not evidences that prove the Bible is true, but just corroborates its trustworthiness by giving facts that are in agreement with its reliability. If any of these points were false, then we would know the Bible is not reliable. The Bible, unlike any other religious book, confirms its reliability through hundreds of fulfilled, detailed prophecies. These prophecies were written centuries before the events they accurately describe. For example, the Old Testament predicts the basic facts of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. The book of Daniel predicts the division of Alexander the Great's empire and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple in Daniel 9, verses 24 and 26. Some religions can be indifferent to historical facts, but Christianity cannot, for it rests upon the affirmation that a series of events happened in which God revealed himself in action for the redemption of men. No other religious book except the Bible can verify itself in this way. The Bible has also been confirmed to be historically reliable by more than 25,000 archaeological discoveries that have verified the names of persons, places, events, and customs mentioned in the Bible. No archaeological discovery has ever refuted any biblical statement. Despite the fact 
that the 66 books of the Bible, written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 authors, living in far different lands on three different continents, and coming from various levels of human society, including kings and statesmen, professional men and laborers, fishermen and farmers, priests and prophets, shepherds and scribes, Nevertheless, the Bible shows a remarkable unity of message. You might expect chaos and confusion, yet the Bible miraculously remains absolutely consistent and internally harmonious with the facts from beginning to end. If God himself is the author of the Bible, you would expect to find continuity of thought, harmony of purpose, perfection of detail, and lack of contradiction. This is what you do find, but internal consistency and external fitting to the facts do not prove the Bible is a revelation from God. It merely confirms that it could be. From fulfilled prophecy, archaeological discoveries, and evidence from many fields, including astronomy and history, confirms that it is reasonable to believe in the veracity of the Bible. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address. Doug Apple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.